This week's episode of the Getting to Know podcast is brought to you by the Nina Values. Did you know that we place the health and well-being of our employees above everything else? Learn about our commitment to both physical and emotional safety on Connect. Hey, everybody. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another iteration of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, I'm joined by Katie Podhazer, who's our Director of Talent and Performance Management and leading all things related to Grow It. Nina, Katie, thanks for joining us, taking time out of your schedule to be with us on the Getting to Know podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on the Getting to Know podcast. It's great to have you at Nina. You have now been here for what, about a year? Uh, yeah, I think coming up on a year and a half. About a year and a half with Nina. So you joined right around the same time I joined. And we've been very focused on, again, everything about talent management, everything about performance management, ultimately led to the Grow It Nina launch early this year. What's your experience been so far? It's been a great experience so far. Um, you know, I was excited to, to come in and and really help form and shape the strategy for a lot of these talent processes. The whole genesis of the the Grow at Nina concept is really focused on the employee and the employee experience and allowing our internal talent opportunities to grow and develop themselves, whether that's through, you know, targeted learning training programs or more on-the-job experiences. So it's been great working with the rest of the HR team and business leaders, kind of identifying where those those opportunities are for Nina specifically. So, What aspect of Grow at Nina do you feel like we've most broadly landed in the organization? Well, I would say with our launch of objective setting earlier this year, I think that was um, a really significant step in the journey, um, kind of a launching pad for everything else we're doing. I think in order to be able to move towards a pay-for-performance culture and evaluate talent in a consistent manner and, and help people identify their goals and career aspirations, a lot of that starts with setting clear goals for the year and, and, you know, that are of course aligned with business strategy and the direction of your team and your department, but also, you know, understanding a bit more about people's personal development and what's important for them to focus on. So I felt like getting that three plus one objective setting off the ground this year has been a really um, instrumental first step in, in everything else. It's kind of a foundational piece of a lot of Grow and Nina. I would agree, and I think that's that's great work uh, by you and by by our leaders and employees, kind of jumping in to make that happen. I've I've never seen the adoption um, as as quickly as what we did, but I agree with you. It's it's a foundational aspect, you know, setting objectives. So you come to work, you need to know what it is that you're doing, and hopefully how you're being measured. But it's it's way more difficult. Why is it so difficult to set good objectives in your mind? I think that people are want to make sure they're meaningful, right? So they're they're aligned both with, you know, your direct manager but also kind of going up through the organization and having in order to do that well, you need to have clear visibility into what our CEO and our executive team are focused on and what's the business strategy. So I think it's challenging when people don't have that visibility and try to to go off and create their own goals or <laughs> 
guess what they should be focused on. So really, I think it all starts at the top and making sure that that strategy is clear and people are all rowing in the same direction and, and know what to focus on. And I think, I think our leadership team did a really good job of that this year. And I think it will continue to, to evolve and progress as we get more comfortable doing it in the coming years. Would it be fair to say this stuff gets easier as we go, as we get a couple rotations under our belt? I think so. That's what I've, I've definitely seen in my past and other organizations. It's always kind of getting off the ground can be a little rocky, right? You might take a step back before you take a step forward, but um, the more people get comfortable with it and it becomes kind of common practice in the organization, the, the better we'll be at it. So I want to spend a lot more time on the path forward on Grow at Nina, which we'll come back to. And I think there's a lot of stuff around the end of year process for both talent reviews, performance reviews, how they tie to rewards. So we'll we'll come back to that. But I'm just curious, did you grow up wanting to be a maven focused on talent and performance management? I don't know if you if that's what I would have said I wanted to be when I was, you know, 10 years old, if that's what you're asking. But um, I kind of, you know, going through through college and uh, my early career, I knew I wanted to do something in, in the business world and I knew I wasn't a finance person. So I was kind of like, okay, where do I fit into this? And I always had an interest in psychology. And a lot of people with degrees in HR management kind of also have some sort of like organizational psychology component to that. So kind of the marrying of those two, I kind of I majored in HR management and minored in psychology. And kind of the two of those brought me to this HR field. Um, and then specifically of talent management, I find it really fascinating kind of understanding what helps drive people and motivate them in their careers and helping organizations get, get the most out of their people by investing in them. So I wouldn't say it was something I grew up knowing I wanted to do, but it kind of just felt like a natural fit of my my skill set and my my interests. As you got into college and early career or probably yeah, probably my passion for it formed somewhere early on in my career, I would say. Got it. So uh, so where did you matriculate for those college years? So I went to Fairfield University, which is a relatively small private college in Connecticut, um, and then started my career um, at Deloitte, where I started in a consulting role. So I was doing various HR-related projects from across different organizations and different teams. I don't think I'm detecting a Southern accent there, Katie. So where, where did you grow up? Where were the early years before Fairfield? So I was born and raised on Long Island, New York, then went to school in Connecticut, as I mentioned, and currently living in New Jersey. So I've been primarily a resident of the tri-state area, making my way around. And yeah, so I'm in a, I'm in a remote capacity. I'm not based out of our Alpharetta office, but work with a lot of colleagues there. So from Long Island to Fairfield to Deloitte, from Deloitte, if I'm not mistaken, onto another big consulting firm. Was it PwC for a couple of years then? Yep, that's right. So what do you take from your early consulting experiences that you apply to what it is that you do for us today? You know, there were a lot of um, skill sets that I picked up in consulting that I, I don't think I even knew in the moment I was picking up, but um, I think my ability to 
manage change and be kind of agile kind of stems a lot from there because I was constantly, you know, rotating new projects, working with new managers, new project teams um, on a different client in a different state potentially. So um, saw a lot of change early on, saw a lot of things that worked really well and things that didn't work really well. And that I've kind of brought that perspective with me to industry roles and find it really valuable to be able to kind of bring that experience and bring that that flexibility, knowing that every organization is so different and people are so different and um, everyone's kind of doing their own unique thing. But there's also best practices we can we can try and implement and, and, and pilot here and there. So I've really enjoyed making that transition to industry and seeing things kind of from from the inside. <laughs> so you bring a an incredibly practical approach to everything talent and performance management, which I really appreciate about you because this this is an area that can be extremely academic. Is that just kind of who you are? Is that your educational background? Is that stemming from the consulting experience? Have you just kind of learned from the school of hard knocks? What, what would you attribute that to? Yeah, I think it's both or, or everything you mentioned probably to some extent. But I, you know, early on in my career and in consulting, I had some mentors who I felt like led that way kind of in a practical manner and, and less, um, you know, let's go back to the textbook and, and the theories and see what works in real real life. Not to say that, you know, there aren't <laughs> great theoretical ideas out there, but I think it's also just different once you get into the real world. And like I mentioned, every organization is so different. So you can't make the assumption that something that works well one what at one company or with one team is going to work well somewhere else. You mentioned uh, mentors. Um, who would you say has influenced you most in your, in your career? I had, um, you know, early on in my career, starting off in consulting and dealing with all of the change that I mentioned, you know, was was challenging at times and kind of could be overwhelming, particularly uh, being so so young and early on in my career. So there were some people more seniored at, at the firms who kind of took me under their wing, I felt like, and had a really big impression on me. And I think I continue to kind of look for those people throughout my career who I know I can trust and get get to know on a personal level. And then, you know, on a more personal aside, you know, my parents have always been very hardworking and, you know, worked my entire childhood to, you know, to give me, you know, the life I wanted and, and enjoyed. So um, that's always been motivational for me now myself as a, a relatively new parent, um, kind of wanting to pass that on and understanding that, you know, parental uh, drive to, to succeed and to provide and to be well-respected in my career. So. That's great. So your very influential parents, Katie, still on Long Island or in the tri-state area? They are. They're still on Long Island. Yep. Not too far away then from your new family. So talk to us a little bit about your new-ish son and that family dynamic. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, my husband and I have a two-year-old son, Jack, who keeps us very busy and we have another baby boy on the way, so our lives are going to be even more chaotic come Congratulations. Uh, the winter. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, and we have a, uh, a golden doodle dog as well, who's also a boy, so I'm, I'm really outnumbered now in my household, but it's okay. For certain. Well, congratulations. That's, that's very exciting. Growing family real close, 
still um, to your parents. Where, where are you in the lineup? You have siblings as well? I am the middle child, or mm-hmm. as my mom used to like to say, the, the cream in the middle of the Oreo cookie. Uh, <laughs> to make me feel better about it, I guess. But yeah, I have an older brother and a younger sister. And where are they physically? Uh, my brother's also in New Jersey, only about 20 minutes from me, um, him and his wife. And then my sister's on Long Island. So we're, we're all kind of close, close enough. <laughs> what would you say your coolest childhood memory is that involves the five of you? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a tough one. Um, I immediately kind of what comes to mind are a lot of like road trip vacations. Um, my dad doesn't like to fly. So we've driven, we drove to Florida to go to Disney. Um, we drove some summers, we drove up to Vermont to go camping. And my brother was always involved in some sort of travel baseball team. So we drive wherever they have tournaments, which was not the most entertaining for for a young girl, but it was still those those memories really stick out in my mind. Just kind of that, that family time, playing Mad Libs or whatever we were doing in the car for hours. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. What's been the most pleasant surprise with Jack and being a, a new mom? Everything. I mean, it's pretty wild. There's so many um, cliches about like having kids and how they grow up so fast and how they change you and they're all true like they're just all really true and I'm living it now and it's it's pretty cool to see his now that he's two and he's verbal he's communicating with us his little personality coming out and seeing things that I'm like oh my gosh you're you're so much like me and then he'll do other things that I'm like oh my gosh you're a spitting image of your dad so it's that's pretty cool that is very cool How's the uh, balancing act been? I mean, you've got a big job helping us in everything related to talent and performance management. It's a huge part of what we're doing from an attract, engage, grow, reward standpoint. That's our that's our talent strategy. And you really genuinely touch very directly the engage, grow, and reward piece as you talked about pay for performance. And I think it's an important part of the attraction story too. So big job, a lot of work ahead of us. Also a new mom and a wife to Derek. So what, what's the balancing act been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it as any working parent, I'm sure, would, would agree. It's it's a lot to balance. Um, it was particularly challenging, you know, the last year during COVID when my son's daycare was closed and um, he was home and... <laughs> was trying to log into my WebEx meetings also. Um, so now that at least daycare is open, life is a little bit more normal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying, you know, enjoying trying to figure out the balance and figuring out, you know, some days where you just, he, I get a call from daycare and he's sick and I have to drop everything and get into mom mode, you know, and then there's other days where, um, you know, thankfully, like my husband's job has has good flexibility too, and he can he can go do drop off and pick up if I have a busy day. So we're we're making it work, and yeah, you just you know figure it out as we go, I guess. So as the area in which you live has opened up a bit more, not to give the impression that um, you know these times around COVID are anywhere near in the rearview mirror, but as things have begun to open up a little bit more and the dude is now two and change and about to have a brother. What, what do you find yourself? How do you find yourself settling in from a 
outside of work for you and Derek's standpoint? Like, what are you guys doing for fun these days? Um, what, do you, what do you see as the areas where you'll, you'll end up investing outside of work? Yeah, well, I, I mean, we enjoy traveling, you know, um, outside of work and doing things on the weekends now. Road trips like when you were a kid or you getting on planes? You know, it's funny. I mean, definitely now that we have a kid, I can understand why we did so many driving vacations growing up because we do have some, my husband has some family in California. So we try to go out there a few times a year and, you know, pre-kids, we would go out there whenever and, you know, go for a long weekend or whisk away to Napa or something. And now it's a little bit like, well, uh, you know, when is, when we got to go around Jack's schedule and flying on a plane for six hours with a toddler is an adventure all in of itself. Um, so, you know, we've, we've been trying to do some more like local activities and things and just kind of going down to the, the New Jersey shores, like 40 minutes from us. So do some beach days um, and getting just getting to know kind of we recently moved out to the suburbs. So getting to know our, our new community and things around here. But yeah, I mean, most of our free time is, you know, do, trying to entertain Jack. <laughs> um, and when we get, you know, those rare pockets of like couple time, I mean, we love, we're kind of, you know, love going out to any restaurants in the area and doing things like cooking classes and stuff like that. So what would the perfect night out without Jack entail? Um, I really miss, um, like going into the city. We would, you know, do occasional date nights in Manhattan, um, go to a like a Broadway show or something and a nice dinner. Um, maybe meet up with friends afterwards for a few drinks. That would probably be something I rarely get to do these days, but it would be, be kind of nice. So there's not a normal day here at Nina, I've become convinced, which is not all bad by any means. Um, so I assume working pretty closely with you, you don't have a normal day. But if you could wave a magic wand and create the perfect day at Nina, what would that look like? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head. I definitely don't have a consistent routine every day, but I guess an ideal day would be one where I have a little time in the morning before meetings start. So I'm able to kind of get a little work done and prep before rather than jump right into meetings. Um, and I mean, I, I really, as kind of varied as my role is, I really love all the different aspects of it. So I would probably have, you know, a portion of my day where maybe I'm helping roll out talent reviews with some of our senior leaders. And, you know, then my afternoon is spent um, thinking through our learning and development strategy um, or responding to talking to employees about, you know, the different Grow at Nina initiatives we've got going on. So I feel like it would be varied um, in, a, in a sense, but maybe not back to back like meetings. <laughs> gotcha. So your time with Nina has been all during the COVID pandemic. So the opportunity to spend good quality time in person with many of our colleagues has been limited. So with that perspective, if you could have one Nina colleague with you in a dark, dangerous alley, which is the badass Nina colleague that you would choose? Um... I feel like there's there's several I would I would be okay with being hold down with. Um, I mean, other than you, Mike, you're saying? Uh, yeah, I was waiting else? for that. Okay, it, it didn't come as quickly as I had hoped, but uh, <laughs> present company excluded, obviously. 
Um, you know, Luella Dowling on my team, um, I feel like I would, I could be stuck with her and, um, you'd have a lot to talk about and I would feel, feel secure. So I'll, I'll give her a shout out. I think she can figure <laughs> some stuff out. It's not a bad I think call. So too. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Switching gears back to your role from a talent and performance management standpoint here at Nina, um, you talked about the varied pieces of the role. So you, you've been pushing everything from, hey, let's get objectives and targets set in a smart fashion to let's get into a rhythm around check-ins and talk to our employees and tell them how they're doing and adjust as needed to begin kind of that consistent dialogue all the way through to learning and talent performance reviews and, and, and so forth. What's the aspect of the platform, the Grow It Needed platform that you think will be most impactful for us? You know, that's a tough, tough question. I think independently, they're all really important. I think the talent review process is something that not everyone in the organization will necessarily partake in. Um, it's, it's kind of generally... Um, so for people that aren't really aware of it, it's more senior leaders kind of getting together to, in a unified kind of consistent manner, talk about the people that reported to them and their team. So it kind of helps improve visibility to talent. Um, and it helps people understand outside of their direct teams, kind of what other people are doing in the organization, what other opportunities might exist. I think there's a lot of good that can come. And I've already seen a lot of good coming from those initial conversations, just creating that transparency, right? So leaders are kind of aware of, of other talent in the organization. And, and like I mentioned, are able to create more individualized development plans for people um, with the consensus of their peers, I think is really powerful. So I'm excited to see we're going to do a, another round of those later this year. And I'm really excited to see kind of some of the outcomes of those those meetings. I find that it is so difficult for leaders who haven't, maybe they're, they're new to leadership or to just, you know, leading a team in general I find it's difficult to share the, the, the more constructive feedback. What would your advice be to a leader who is worried about you know, hurting feelings or demotivating or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something people, people struggle with. Um, I, my advice would be, you know, I think someone put it to me this way before as well. You know, when you think about a good manager or mentor you've had, you know, have they just praised you all day and lifted you up, right, and told you what you did well? Because that's that's great to hear. People need to hear what they do well, but that also doesn't really help you improve, right? So constructive criticism, you know, uh, is really with the intent to help that employee. And I think if people, if both the manager and the employee understand that, and it's not pure criticism, it's more, you know, this is an area you can develop. Let's, let's think together on how we can improve it. Um, it, it's not personal. It's a, it's kind of a professional development opportunity. So it definitely is something that, that takes practice though, and gets people, you know, people need to get comfortable doing. It does for sure. And, and there is, there is obviously that win-win out of this because the more our people develop, uh, you know, the greater their impact is and the closer we can get them to what their career aspirations are as well, right? Right. 
and no one's perfect. So keeping that in mind too. I'm reminded of that on a fairly regular basis. My boss does not hold back on feedback. So um, I have, I figured out Katie that I am not perfect. And I, and, and to be honest with you, jokes aside, I've been fortunate to have a whole bunch of leaders that through the years, I felt like genuinely cared about my development. They did not hold back. And so, you know, there've been, been a bunch of areas through things like the tools that you've rolled out that have helped me kind of look in the mirror and, and not all of those things have I addressed as well as I should have. And, and some of them I, um, I struggle with because I'm wired in a certain way and change is more difficult. But I think, you know, all of this is about kind of creating that dialogue to your point and, and leads to those meaningful individual development plans and drives everything we do from a succession standpoint. You mentioned the pay for performance culture earlier. What, what does that mean to you? It's kind of a label. It kind of gets thrown out there a lot, but what's it actually mean in practicality? Yeah, great, great question. So pay for performance is essentially meaning that we are consistently evaluating talent and consistently reviewing people at the end of the year with a performance rating that will then have some direct impact on their their pay, on their their merit and and bonus compensation. And the whole idea of that is we want to over-reward people that are overperforming. So rather than just saying, you know, everyone gets a 2% raise or whatever it might be, right? We look at and say, well, who had a knockout year? Who, you know, really delivered for the business? Who went above and beyond their expectations? Those people need to be rewarded as such. And similarly, if there's people that you know, didn't perform, you know, that's kind of where you start to get the additional money for. So it's it's a motivational tactic. Um, it's a way to retain our top performers, which we want to motivate people to perform their best at Nina. And we want to retain people that, that are really strongly performing. So that's kind of the, the where the pay for performance philosophy comes from. In your experience... The challenge that lies ahead for us as we head into this end of year process, first time that we're really differentiating with the five-tier rating scale that will tie to rewards for the U.S., scale of one to 10, how difficult is it, that, what we're about to embark upon? It's tough. It's probably somewhere in that eight, nine range, honestly. It's, it's a big shift for people conceptually in an organization where we haven't always done that consistently, maybe rewarded based on performance. And just using a, a rating scale in general is new for a lot of people. And it's going to require leaders to have some of those tough conversations and be really practical and fair about, you know, the assessment of their, their people, um, and maybe deliver some less flattering feedback. So it's, it's going to be a challenge. I think, um, I think people have a tendency to, as a manager to want to, you know, give your people the world and, and certainly not against that, but I think we need to figure out the right balance of, like I mentioned, kind of, how do we, how do we really pay our top performers? How do we, you know, incentivize people to continue performing highly? So I think it will be a challenge, but I think if I've seen anything at Nina, I feel like people are ready and, and ready for the challenge and up for it. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think um, an eight or nine is is fair. Having gone through this kind of thing before, it's just a tough transformation 
Um, it requires discussions that are sometimes uncomfortable and not always consistent with with what you've maybe aimed off of sharing in the past. As someone who's been on either side of this, so there was a point where I I, I was very resistant to the idea of of tying performance and rewards together earlier in my career, and I had a had a leader say to me that you know while he appreciated that I was you know trying to protect essentially the 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 employee population, his perspective was the opposite. It wasn't that he was trying to be punitive; he was trying merely to over-incentivize people that were contributing more. And there's not a bottomless pit full of, of resources to do that. So it is a tough transition for us, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm optimistic about how this organization and, and our leaders have, have gone at it, um, everything else that we've done. So I think we'll get there, but it'll require some heavy lifting for sure. Yeah. And I think it's too, as we, you know, continue to get more, you know, we didn't talk too much about the check-ins, um, but that's, that's a, a new concept too, that we implemented as part of Grow It Nina, these quarterly discussions that are more than just one-on-ones or, you know, status updates. They're really meant for managers and their employees to sit down and look back at their annual objectives and say, you know, how are we, how are you tracking against this? Is there anything we need to, you know, tweak in terms of the rest of the year performance? So I think as we become more sophisticated and in a good practice of doing those check-ins, the year-end evaluation becomes less of an event. There's less surprises because people are having these conversations throughout the year and are kind of aware of, of where they stand. So amongst the things I think I've learned is that there's really no finish line. So this next question is maybe unfair through that lens, but while we'll never fully reach quote nirvana, there's always going to be an opportunity for improvement. What would it look like and feel like when we get to where you'd like us to be from a global talent and performance management platform standpoint? Yeah, I think that the ideal future state is we are doing a lot of these Grow at Nina processes, um, objective setting, checking conversations, the year-end process. We're doing it very naturally. It's not an event. Um, it's part of our DNA and people come into Nina, you know, as, even as part of the onboarding process and are aware that this is how we operate and how we grow both as individuals and as teams. There's clear learning and development paths for people. So they they know that they have career opportunities within Nina and um, are aware of kind of what to do to, to get to that next level. So I think a lot of it will be just getting comfort around these processes and, you know, managers' willingness to have those tough conversations. And that becomes not as a difficult conversation, just part of part of your manager-employee relationship. So that that would be my ideal future state. <laughs> That's a great place to aspire to be. And frankly, we've got a long way to go, but I um, I am personally very proud of you know what it is that, that you have partnered with our leaders to get us to up to this point. I think we've made, you know, made tremendous progress on this front and there is no finish line and we've got a ton more to do. But I think this end of year, process will be very, very helpful. And then next year, we're just largely beginning to sharpen and hone and, and, and improve, which I think is, is great. So a lot to be proud of. A big gap still exists between, I think, what you talked about in terms of ideal 
state versus where we are. But I love the progress for sure. So Katie, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we ask three very specific questions. So I'm going to hit you with those right now. And the first of those is the following. What can always at all times be found in the Podhazer family refrigerator? Probably, you know, I thought about this one, probably ketchup. So, I mean, it's one of those condiments that just is always there. And it's probably my favorite one if I had a, had a, you know, put, put it on eggs, burger, uh, dip your grilled cheese in it. I'm <laughs> always have to have ketchup. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Are you brand specific on ketchup? Heinz, yeah. And I don't know if that's strictly Northeast thing, but um, yeah, I, I don't really buy any other brand of ketchup. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. And I'm a, I'm a, a huge Red Sox fan. I know that's not popular where you're from. I also know it's popular uh, or not terribly popular to put ketchup on hot dogs. But the only bad thing about Fenway Park is this ongoing change in their ketchup vendor and it's never Heinz. So I'm with you. It's got to be Heinz. It's got to be in the fridge. Um, I like that. Um, Katie, second question. Amongst those who know you well, what would you say you're most famous for? I would say I'm typically the planner of the group. I love kind of like researching new places to go or things to do, new restaurants. So whether it's like brunch with friends or a vacation, I always have an itinerary and I love kind of doing research beforehand and figuring out the best spots to go. So I can't disagree with that. I would say that amongst your peers and colleagues, you're also very famous for being super nice and borderline unflappable. So your ability to work under pressure and and not get uh, you know get sideways is, is is another great quality. But hey, that's I think largely driven by the fact that you've got a plan, perhaps whether it's for brunch or for grow at Nina. So, last question for you, Katie. What would you say you are currently most looking forward to? Uh, so we are in the process of moving to a house. So I, from an apartment um, in in Hoboken, New Jersey. So I'm very much looking forward to more space, a backyard. I know my son and dog are going to love that. Um, and I'm looking forward to kind of the holidays and everything else just in our new space and feeling feeling more settled in. How far away are, are you from, from that all happening? Uh, we hope to be in in time for Thanksgiving, give or take. So definitely by by Christmas time. Good luck with all of that. Whether we have whether we have furniture or not, with all of the the delays, is another another question. But we'll have it. We'll have a Christmas tree. So. Yeah, COVID keeps on giving with the supply chain issues, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Katie, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the Getting to Know podcast today and absolutely appreciate you leading the charge on everything we're doing from a Grow at Nina standpoint. There's a lot of work to do. Um, I can't think of a better person to, to partner with us to make that happen and bring everything into life. So thank you for that as well. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. For those of you in the listening audience, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Hope you enjoyed getting to know Katie a little bit more, as well as understanding more about Grow at Nina and where we're heading into the end of year rewards and talent cycle. So thanks again for your time, and we'll talk to you again in two more weeks.